All artists who know what they're doing understand what an accident is and how it functions for them. They understand how accidents uh, can back up works and begin or begin works, and how a process can uh, come from that accident. That is to say, you know, you apply the uh, the thoughts and surrounding aspects of any any sort of incident that you might make with materials or media or things you you know things you discover. An accident can be anything, really. I mean, <clears throat> in life we understand that, so why not art as well? Welcome to What Are You Looking At, the Contemporary Art Tasmania podcast. I'm your host, Thea Connell. In this episode, you'll be hearing from seminal Australian artist Derek Kreckler and curator Hannah Matthews as they discuss Kreckler's recent exhibition at Contemporary Art Tasmania titled Accident and Process. Curated by Matthews as a touring exhibition for the Perth Institute of Contemporary Art, this exhibition resists the format of a retrospective, yet brings together a diverse collection of videos, photographs and objects made by Kreckler over three decades of practice. Derek and I also had a chance to continue the conversation over Skype from his studio in Wollongong. All right, how's it been going since the install at CAT? Oh, terrific. Yeah, yeah lots happening. You know, it's sort of been pretty busy. <clears throat> yeah, that's... I've got a few obligations to fulfil after having had such a wonderful tour of you know, now you're going on for three years when it finishes. Really? So what what part of the stage are we up to now? How many have been and how many to go? I think um, Hobart was about halfway. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of, they're odd numbers, so it's sort of in the middle. Mm-hmm. There's um, uh, Wollongong, Bathurst and Maitland. Oh, gosh, that's a long stint. That, that was one of the first questions I was thinking about that I wrote to you. Like, what what... Is it like having to, um, I mean, I guess, first of all, did you construct the exhibition knowing that it would be touring over this long amount of time? And and secondly, what kind of um, considerations does that make you uh, define? I think when, uh, you know, the circumstance arrives where you do go on a tour, they, they tend to be um, kind of just organised by other people and completely um, sort of out of your hands. Or in this case, um, you're kind of very much part of it because um, the work's primarily installation-based and, you know, um, I guess also I'm a bit of, you know, I'm a bit pedantic, so I like to see it. I'm not sure I'd survive, you know, in, a, you know, in another sort of tour where it wasn't just me because I'd be like wanting to go along all the time. <laughs> also, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of fun thing to do, you know. It's, it's, um, it's really interesting. Um, and Jenny and I can be working in the studio about, you know, sort of we've been using um, SketchUp and those sort of things to determine each space. So we analyse the space very fully and, uh, you know, go through all the considerations. Sometimes they're a bit of a nuisance to people, but that, that's, you know, it has to be a bit like that. You've got to, you know, you've got to make sure your work's represented well, and it's not um, to suggest people don't want to do that, but you know, you're bringing something entirely new to them, and uh, you know, you want to make sure it's um, presented well, you know, like obviously. Um, so no, it's been really cool because it's sort of like uh, it's fun on one level, um, 
also it's been great to have something that interrupts your life every couple of months three months that you know you like doing as an artist you um, you you know you become very uh, familiar with aspects of your work that you wouldn't otherwise um, um, be with I mean you know I might know it quite intimately along a trail that is to do with um, the development of it and uh, so forth but then there's the practical things like the survival of it on a tour plus um, the kind of generated meanings that come to it. I mean, I'm not suggesting that I need the audience to generate a meaning, but, you know, it's not a bad thing either. Um, so, you know, it's a wonderful um, uh, kind of exploding of ideas, you know, that you, you know, keeps sort of moving away like a big bang, you know, and you sort of, you, people always bring new things to it, and that's just great. Hannah Matthews is an experienced curator who has worked with contemporary art organisations such as the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne, and the Perth Institute of Contemporary Arts and the Sydney Biennale, as well as working prolifically as an independent project initiator and director. I got the chance to speak with her to discuss the genesis of the exhibition with Derek and her considerations as the curator of the show. So I guess the backstory of the project, how it came to be, is that Derek and I actually met each other when I was working as the curator at the Perth Institute of Contemporary Arts, PICA, and Derek was living in Perth with his partner, Sarah Miller, who, he, who was the director of Picker at the time. Um, and Derek was teaching at WAPA, at Edith Cowan University, and he was teaching in sort of sound and movement. Um, and we met them, and sort of the strange thing was is that I had seen several of his works in exhibitions elsewhere in Australia um, and not connected the artist to being the same person and certainly not connected the artist to being... Um, Derek Reckler. So when we met and we sort of started talking about his artistic practice, you know, in addition to education and his work in, um, in a theatre and performance, it was a real kind of wow moment for me, um, you know, connecting the dots between iconic works like Blind Ned that I had seen and also the White Good series that I'd seen at the Biennale of Sydney. And um, I guess the motivation came from, um, I mean, a few sources. One, one being um, my delight at meeting an artist who'd made such strong imagery that had really saved me and not sort of been through any signature style, but had been really just impactful individual images and a desire to curatorially work with him to kind of piece together, um, frame a narrative of his practice that included those works, but also filled in the gaps between them. So to put together an exhibition that would share with others not only the um, works he's made that have been quite widely exhibited, but also the lesser-known works that have really informed those kind of key iconic pieces. Um, and, I mean, secondly, in addition to the curatorial project, was also, um, you know, having the opportunity in Perth to get to know him better as an artist and also as a friend, um, to have the opportunity to... I guess, communicate the complexity of the practice and his interests and also his biography. Um, because he's not an artist who sort of, as I said before, works in a signature style. Um, he's an artist who doesn't work in the sort of, um, you know, metropolitan centres. He's someone who's kind of always worked geographically on the periphery of Australia. He's someone who's always been like really committed to key conceptual ideas, but has been um, really motivated, almost chased by a uh, desire to experiment with different forms of material. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I think 
curators enjoy opportunities to share really exciting um, relationships um, with artists and their practices. So that's kind of how the show came about, I guess, through our meeting and um, that sort of sustained, extended opportunity to sort of spend time together in Perth. Um, when I moved back to Melbourne, Derek moved to Wollongong to teach. Um, we just kept in touch and one day they were visiting and we just sort of started this conversation about the possibility of curating something that was not a survey show because Derek hates that phrase and not a retrospective because he also hates that phrase, <laughs> but an exhibition that looks quite holistically at his practice. And that's how that's sort of how it actually like, you know, I guess began in time. It's interesting, you know, touching on the diversity of the mediums that he employs um, in his work. Was there any particular challenges in trying to kind of uh, bring together so many different mediums and also from such different periods in his practice as well? Um, not really. I mean, I have to say, I mean, being located in different states, the, the whole project was made a great deal easier for me as curator because Derek was already in the process of revisiting uh, a number of older works in his studio and working with his studio assistant, Jenny Tubby, who's also an artist, um, you know, to unpack things, locate things, look at slides, old film, like, you know, just reviewing a lot of um, existing material. So because did you have a lot of, of, sorry, did you have a lot of access to that process, the reviewing? No, not not so much in the first instance because he had been this for some time and a lot of it was being uploaded to his website that he was building, which is kind of like almost an encyclopedia of the practice. And so over sort of several years while we were talking and developing the show, he would have the physical material with him at the studio. I'd be looking at things as he would be uploading them and sharing them either via email or onto the website. So it was a very distance kind of process in terms of reviewing existing material, which when I went to visit him um, at the studio, we would then look at the actual primary artwork. So, um, you know, he was already kind of undertaking a kind of review of his own archive to some degree, which was very helpful, obviously, in terms of access for me, but also he's thinking about those books and also he's thinking about, you know, um, 40, 50 years of practice and, you know, what the kind of connecting concerns, thematics, frustrations, challenges were throughout. And because he works and has always worked across different forms and media, um, being in that headspace of thinking about and reflecting on why and what is the kind of engine of practice, um, you know, we had lots of conversations that really helped in honing in on the conceptual ideas which underpinned all those sort of various experimental divergent kind of forms. We had a chance at Contemporary Art Tasmania to host a public conversation between Hannah and Derek before the opening of the exhibition. There are chance things that occur in one's life and in, in making and in processes that um, I just became, became quite interested in what they might be. And this is not uncommon either. But what I found that was interesting for me was that there are about five or six different types of chance and, and how those types of chance mattered and what how, what sort of manifestation um, was required or where they came from. And, and that, that learning, learning about that in a kind of more, uh, you know, actual research in a kind of more academic context to understand chance and how it operates and prob probability through to um, 
uh, even some aspects of determinacy and aleatory, which I don't want to bore you with all these words, but aleatory is like um, randomness in a detail. Okay, so you might have a, a big structure that you build up, but at the top of it you just randomise. So that brings another way of looking at that thing. So, and as opposed to just an indeterminacy, which is also a chance process where you just let anything happen. So, <coughs> all of these um, behaviours, because they are kind of behaviours, um, help one um, break into and um, understand materials. So, you know, we all work with materials, and that's the sort of whether it's video or, or paper or whatever it might be, you know, you have to kind of understand why and how you're working with it as you work because you don't it's not a prescriptive process we understand that so in that finding lots of accidents and chance opportunities occur and then from that I mean it's not just some sort of random process they get pushed to the side you then have to really you know apply more rigorous I mean it's rigor anyway but more more perhaps more um, strict more prescribed rigor to to, to, to get um, to, to make a work. I mean, to me, when I've made a work, I, I understand when it's coming, it's gestation. I understand there's a kind of entity that's going to arrive of some sort. And to me, until it becomes an entity, it's not a work of art. Otherwise, it's an il illustrative thing. It's a, it's a, a thing that belongs to something else. Um, whereas when, when, it's, when it's an artwork, it, it is an entity. It, it has its own life. It didn't exist before. It has no other reason to be. So, yeah, that, that's, and so that's sort of how accidents become things. An accident becomes part of the process. So maybe that leads us into the, the next question about how do you, what kind of methods do you use to develop a work uh, and take it, in, take it from sort of play and accident and through process into the realm of being an artwork, being an entity? Without, I can't talk about a method because that's not, the reality of really much at all, I don't think. Um, where there is a method in anything, whether it's acting or whatever it might be, I mean, any 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 um, artistic pursuit, um, you have to bring the moment into it. You know, um, so I mean, if I'm looking at um, someone working the floor with script or whatever, I want them to not just know the script and know the grammar of the script, but be the script. So I apply that same rule with an installation. So if, if I'm working with a... I mean, I sometimes I recall um, my past, you know, things I've seen. So um, they might become... It might block out an entire scenario, but it's got a lot of blue sense, you know, so I just work through it materially to understand those loose ends where they might be and then, um, you know, remove them or, or harden them in some way. <clears throat> but at the same time, as you're going through that kind of blowtorch, analytical blowtorch, you've got to, you can't be, um, you can't nail it down and finish it. There's no way I can finish your work. The work has to tell me, you know, how to finish it, if you know what I'm saying. Like I... I, I, as I said before, I mean, with the first iteration of Blind Ned, I, I made this steel cube, which was a metre cube, drill full of holes, and it was deliberately meant to look like some sort of um, jacket for a computer or a server or something like that. And there was about 200 metres 
of wire which just gouged out of it into the space and kind of was all over the floor and at the back of it was blind milk. Yeah. It kind of, it worked, it sort of looked good, it looked really beautiful, but it just didn't have the, the kind of, I don't know, there was just that last tweak missing in some way and I, I, don't, I wasn't sure what it was. I think it was, look, the work looked really great and I was very, I got good reports and so forth, but I, I thought it, it's, what I've done on the ground is almost like a secondary metaphor to the work, you know, it's like, it's, it's another work perhaps, yeah, but I need something that um, is real to support the real so everything isn't metaphoric. I mean, you know, Ned Kelly was never like that, you know, we don't know quite what he was like, but we know he wasn't blind, you know. <clears throat> so we know that people today are blind, you know, like I can say that um, in an arrogant and purposeful way. A lot of people are blind. Um, so, you know, these sort of ideas just start to swirl and you kind of, you, you know, it might be that it's like a lot of things, you know, you can, you're best forgetting about them, just forget them, because they'll come back, you know, they come back and hit you in the back of your head, you know, when you least expect it and you go, you know, the light bulb goes off and you kind of, and, it, and it's sort of real, you know, and I think that the idea of um, accident and process, the idea behind it, I mean, it's a fairly, um, the title comes from a, a, a piece that's in the show um, down at Plimsoll. Um, but I couldn't think of a better title than, than that, you know. So it was kind of like, well, that'll do. It's, it's real, you know, and I'm too busy to do anything else. And I didn't want to kind of invent something because I had to. Had people pushed me, I probably would have come up with something around the same lines, you know, because what, what it is, is it, it's kind of physics. It's the universe. It's everything. I mean by that, ideas of accident and change and and, and then a, a type of joining together are uh, just, that's what the world is, you know. What the, in, I mean, you listen to any or watch or kind of read anything about you know, astrophysics or um, the way in which the geography functions, the way in which the world has been developed, it's always the world's. It's always been through some, you know, some sort of accident, you know. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the asteroids that hit us, um, why and where did they come from and what deviation could have caused them to hit something else instead of us or maybe hit us more directly or, you know, whatever, you know. Um, so, I mean, it just seems to be in all the adventures that I've been on, <clears throat> there's a kind of desire to... I understand the fundamental process. I suppose that's what, in in a sort of mad way, I've always been searching for. You know, what is the most fundamental process? So the idea of accident process, the process part shouldn't be underestimated. A lot of people think about the accident bit, but the process part is as nailed down and you know can be as nailed down and as authorial as um, any deterministic process. You know, because in a way, um, I think I mentioned aleatory in the talk. Yeah, very Alleat briefly, yeah, but not kind of fleshed out. Yeah, aleatory um, is, you don't need to flesh it out. It's just a statement, right? It's, it's randomness, randomness in detail. So what that means is, you know, you might be making something and it's completely understood what you're building. But just at the end, 
you let it go. Thank you for listening to What Are You Looking At? A podcast edited and produced by Pip Stafford and myself, Thea Connell, for Contemporary Art Tasmania. We'd like to thank our interviewees, Derek Kreckler and Hannah Matthews, for their time and insights. The music is by Josh Santospirito. Contemporary Art Tasmania is a professional-level public presentation platform dedicated to developing contemporary art in Tasmania. To find out more about our programs, head to www.contemporaryarttasmania.org. What Are You Looking At can be found on our website as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud.